From WSNC on the campus of Winston-Salem State University, I'm Byron Williams, and this is the Public Morality's annual baseball broadcast. Today, on the Public Morality, it's an annual baseball show. With opening day around the corner, my friends Johnny Costa and George Mitrovich return to talk baseball. That's coming up on the Public Morality. On one Saturday, her young boy called to see if she'd like to go to see a show. But Miss Kate said no. I'll tell you what you can do. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jacks I don't care if I ever get back Cause it's root, root, root for the home team If they don't win it's a shame Cause it's one, two, three strikes You're out at the old ball game Welcome to the Public Morality. It's once again time for baseball, a time when every major league team is brimming with hope and optimism. But with 162 games ahead of them, no matter which team ends up in the World Series, they will need a bit of luck, if only to avoid serious injuries, in order to make it to the Fall Classic. Joining me once again to talk baseball are my friends Johnny Costa and George Mitrovich. Johnny Costa, George Mitrovich, welcome back to the Public Morality. Thank you, sir. Happy to be back. Yeah, it's our pleasure. Uh, Byron, always, always glad to join you. Well, gentlemen, here we are on the cusp of another opening day. Um, I'll start. The 147th. The 147th. So I'll start with you, George. Talk about the feeling that this time of year brings with with most baseball fans that I would offer is different from the opening day in football and, and basketball, for example. I don't think that there's any doubt it's different because, for one thing, the tradition is longer. And opening day in every city where there's decent weather will mean a sellout crowd. And the level of excitement on opening day is just uh, you, you can feel it, and it's exciting, and you want to be a part of it. And I don't, uh, I don't think, as you just said, I don't think that applies to the other major sports. And if you happen to believe, as I do, that baseball is truly America's game, um, then opening day is just full of, of, of significance, and it's just part of, of our tradition. And we, it helps us in this very turbulent time in our history. It helps us to focus on something uh, that you know, isn't about politics or about government. Johnny, anything you want to add? Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree agree more. And, and George, you're eloquent as usual. For me, um, you know, I, I, I promise not to wax too much uh, sentiment or, or <laughs> philosophy, but I will. And, uh, you know, it's a convergence of, of springtime renewal Hope, shirt sleeve weather, families together, out at the yard, um, enjoying truly what's America's game. And when there's so many uh, divisions and things to disagree on and worry about, um, no better venue to find common ground than uh, than on the uh, on the ball field. You know, you know. When you guys give you your answers, one of the things that occurred to me, if I was walking downtown uh, and, and someone had a hot dog stand and said Dodger dogs, I'm going to pass. I don't want one. But if I'm at Dodger Stadium, i got to have a Dodger dog. That's just part of that, right? <laughs> well, I think when it comes true. to food, yeah, when it comes to food, that transcends everything, no question about it. 
And if you're at Fenway, you're going to want a Fenway Frank. Oh, absolutely. But mostly because of the bun. Not the Frank, but the bun. Well, the bun well, is really terrific. Every hot dog connoisseur knows that, 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 the, that the quality is in the bun. Right. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely, whether it's a Nathan, a Nathan or it's the breast at Yankee Stadium, for sure. George, you, you, you don't know this, but I happen to know that we were at a sporting event. I think it was a boxing match at Johnny's house, and Johnny had Nathan's dogs flow from New York. Is that right? I did. I had both Nathan's, and actually Nathan's you can get out here on the West Coast, but I had Sabret's onion sauce and mustard shipped out from uh, the Big Apple just so we could uh, celebrate properly. The, uh, the fight that night at, the, at Madison Square Garden, the most famous arena in the world. That would be true. <laughs> but I can still hear the voice of Johnny Dunphy in this corner. Ah. Anyway, that's, that's boxing. Well, with, with, all, with all that tradition um, said, um, Johnny, I'll start with you. Where do you see the state of the game of baseball today? You know, I, I think um, on a global scale, it continues to grow big time. I, I think uh, uh, the diversity that we see with players from uh, uh, certainly uh, Latin countries, Central and South America and Asia, um, you see the, uh, uh, the Netherlands competing mightily in the World Baseball Classic every year. I think it's 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 really gone as much as it's America's game. It's gone beyond our borders and become a world game. And uh, you know, I got to tell you that uh, it's nice to have a healthy dose of watching a game that isn't relying on a clock. Uh, I, you know, I, I guess a little bit. There's there have been some rules changes that uh, have put certain aspects of the game on a clock, but. But I just love the fact there's no clock. And I told you this before, Byron, being out at the ball yard, and I'm sitting behind a couple of guys about my age that are talking about, you know, they kind of need to shorten the game, even if they shorten it by 15, 20 minutes. And I kind of nudged them, and I reminded them, where the hell else would you rather be right now? Right, right. Where else would you rather be for 15 minutes and sitting right here? Are you kidding me? So I think the game is healthy. I think uh, when you when you look at uh, at how tremendous the World Series was last year, um, I, I think it's going to transcend generations and keep growing. Well, I would agree with that, and it just made me think back when you talk about the inter- internationalization of the game. That in many ways, America's greatest gift to Japan was the game of baseball, mm-hmm. and uh, and and it's such a great great game in that country, and when. Uh, Ichiro came and played his first year for Seattle, and the All-Star game happened to be in Seattle. And I wrote an op-ed for one of the Seattle papers in which I asked that the Baseball Writers uh, Association of America would not name Ichiro as Rookie of the Year because I thought it was an insult. Um, He had played and played brilliantly in Japan as he continued to play brilliantly in this country. And remember, in that first year, that he had, I think, what, 246 hits? I think that's right. Ever by any player? Yes, yeah. Um, so the game is, uh, and, and I, we've had a couple of the, of the World Classic games here in San Diego at Petco Park, and it's just tremendous fun. People come from all over. We had people from Puerto Rico and from the, uh, from the Dominican Republic. And it was just—it was exciting. Now, 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 George, we've had Johnny on. Like I've had you on the last couple years, uh, but this first time we had you on together. And I, I will tell you, George, that that Johnny is an original diehard Yankee fan. Well, I heard that. And, and now Johnny has been a little subdued and uh, the last couple of years, so I'm going to allow him right now to give his assessment of this year's Yankee team. Well, there's so many good things to talk about. I'll I'll tell you, as a Yankee fan, um, you've got to have this overriding feeling that uh, 
that they've really reloaded and put together a roster, uh, certainly that combines some uh, some great young talent, and I think they're going to be potentially uh, a very good team for a very long time, which is uh, which is really exciting for a for a Yankee fan. Um, my my concern going into the season, I think they're going to score enough runs. Um, assuming everybody stays healthy and, uh, and they can uh, trot out a lineup uh, that they have, they'll score plenty of runs. My only concern right now is, uh, is the starting pitching a little bit. You know, there's, uh, you know there's, a, there's a few question marks in that starting rotation. I think the bullpen is stellar. Um, again, I think the offensive production is going to be tremendous, but uh, you know uh, we got to see what happens with the uh, with the starting pitching. They may need to uh, look at that as the season goes on. George, I'm gonna let, let me say I was gonna let you pick, George. Go ahead, go ahead, George. As a Red Sox fan, I think the Yankees are going to be the most exciting team in baseball, and I would offer the suggestion that the lineup that they have may be the best since 1927. Um, when you have the kind of home run power that they have, um, that will, I think, more than compensate for the pitching. I think the Red Sox have the better pitching, and getting Martinez was a huge, huge offseason pickup because the Red Sox uh, didn't hit many home runs last year. But I think that will change. And I think the division is really between the Yankees and the Red Sox. Yeah, I, I think clearly those two teams have uh, have begun to separate themselves from the rest of the pack in the AL East. But uh, you know as well as I do, George, come October, <laughs> that old adage of good pitching beats good hitting when those rotations shorten up, when managers have expanded rosters and can start matching people up in the late innings um right now the red sox are the defending al east champions and right. i will consider them so even though the yankees went further in the postseason um i'll consider them the uh, the team to beat because they do have a great balance of uh, of hitters and pitching no question I, my one of the things that always amuses me about this game and the people who write about it is when we get to uh, September, they talk about these are the games that matter. And I always think that's really absurd. Every game matters. Have you ever gone back and looked at the final standings? I have done this of both, in both the National and American League. And I wrote about it. The number doesn't come to mind at the moment. But it's remarkable how many times uh, league championships were decided by one or two or three games. So every game counts beginning this Thursday when all 30 teams will begin playing on opening day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't say that I've ever written about that, George, but I have spewed profanity at some of the results of that, no question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, think about the Red Sox. Uh, you know, they won in 46 um, and in 48. They missed by what one game? No, uh, and one one game. Well, there was a playoff, and they lost to uh, they lost to Cleveland. And I, if I remember correctly, in '49 it was another one game difference with with the Yankees. So every game counts. I, I was you know for George when you give that last answer, I just had this vision. Of uh, Bucky Dent. We'll leave out his nickname for Red Sox <laughs> fans, but I just had this image of Bucky Dent in my head. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, and, I, and that's a great example, although I, I have to observe that for, uh, for having a Red Sox and a Yankee fan on your show, Byron, um, our, our tone is, uh, I got to tell you, it, it is very mutually respectful and and uh, you know, very gracious. I, I think uh, I think sometimes our our politicians should take a uh, a cue from us right now. Well, let me tell you my secret, Johnny. Here's my secret. <laughs> you all are Red Sox fans and Yankee fans, respectively. But you, I think, more importantly, you both are fans of the game. Yeah, that's true. 
And I absolutely, think absolutely. When, and I'll tell you, even though I was, I was elated that the Yankees got as far as they did last year. I mean, they were one game away from going back to the World Series. But come on, how can you not love the Houston Astros? How could you not love those two teams playing in the series? Right? Right. I mean, well, they, not they only... knocked out the Yankees, but, but I have to just celebrate and respect the game and those players. What a great bunch of, uh, great bunch of guys. And one of the great things for me about the uh, Astros, Brian will know, will know because he reads my baseball notes, is how many times I, I go off on a ramp because of, of the idea that you want to take the pitcher deep into the count. I mean, Jose Altuve <laughs> last year hit almost 350 first pitch swinging. When Nomar Garcia-Para played for the Red Sox, he hit almost 400 one year first hit, you know, first pitch hitting. And George, Why would you wait. And George, you live in a town where a guy made the Hall of Fame. Uh, Tom, come on, Tony Gwynn. What was his average on the first pitch? Um, he was well. Um, what, well, the one thing I know for certain about Tony is that second with two-strike hitting, he had one of the all-time highest batting averages. It was 322. Most players hit somewhere uh, around below 200. But, so I don't know specifically Tony's, but I will look it up. And on a future broadcast, we'll have you. We'll have you back. But 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 his. But I know his first pitch. His first pitch uh, in less than one strike. He's off the charts. Yes, that's true. He is. But so you have to understand why do they? Why do they? Why do they want players to go deep into the count? The theory is, I'm told, that it will tire the opening. You know, the starting pitcher out. Why would you want to do that when some guy who's six five, six six, six seven, and throws a hundred miles an hour comes in out of the bullpen fresh? Why would you do that to your team? I don't. I mean, it just makes no sense to me. And finally, the Houston Astros proved that uh, that it doesn't make any sense. And Joey Cora is going to be the Red Sox manager, so look for the Red Sox to do a lot of first ball hitting this year. Hey, hey guys, I, I'm just, when George was giving that response, I was just thinking, uh, it's uh, one ball, two strikes against Bob Gibson, and I'm going, yeah, I got him just where I want him right now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> but how, I mean, it, it, and, and I will just tell you a, a, a parenthetical of sorts. I, was at, I got to a spring training game at the Angels and the Rockies uh, at Tempe, and uh, um, I went because I'm a friend of Bud Black, the Rockies manager, and I had been trying to get Bud Black and the governor of Colorado, John Hickenlooper, together, and so Bud finally said, see if the governor will come to spring training. So that happened. So after the game, we all got together in Scottsdale at Fleming's for dinner, and Bud brought his wife, who is absolutely fantastic. And out of nowhere, she begins to talk about what frustrates her about her husband. And she said, what frustrates me is when I'm watching the Rockies play and he brings in a relief pitcher and he strikes out the side and he's gone out of the game. And I'm wondering, why is he gone out of the game? <laughs> Somebody turned to me and said, Mitrovic, you must be reading your baseball notes. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's, that's another one of my rants. Anyway, it was, it was hysterically, it was seriously hysterically funny. Yeah, hysterically uh, and hysterically accurate as well. <laughs> right. At times. Yes. <laughs> uh, all right. It's, al- it's almost as if the you know the managers. I mean, when you uh, when you talked about the status of the game, I mean, one of the things that's really changed about the game, and I think not to its betterment, is is all of the nerds in baseball operations who think they have defined everything down to some analytical, mathematical calculation. I don't think that's the way it works in life. I mean, I think the no. thing... Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Finish your thought, George. Well, I think... I mean, I think... Obviously, it's a good thing that you know that one of your players hits 400 off of a certain pitcher and maybe 200 off of someone else. That certainly would make sense to know that. But, but it's just been carried to ridiculous extremes. And the Red Sox, and, I, you know, I love Theo Epstein, but 
the Red Sox were the team that really wanted taught take the pitcher deep into the count. It never made sense to me, and I'm thinking, uh, I, I know these people are smart, but wh- how did they come to this conclusion when it seems to me to be in direct conflict to, you know, to logic? In any event, that's my say. Go ahead, Johnny. You know, I, 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 I really agree with you on the overanalyzing and consideration of of analytics and sabermetrics and everything else that goes into it. And I think that that research and preparation could be a vital tool, but it's not the only tool, and it should never replace the other human factors. And isn't that true with so much in society? You know, you can't take a manager's head away with numbers and statistics and rely totally on that, because sometimes you just have to know where a guy's at that day. That's, um, that's, that's true. And I, you know, there's, you know Ted, Ted Williams said hitters are born. I also happen to believe that. Um, it, it, and that's another mystery, and I would be interested to know your thoughts about this. It always amuses me, too, when they replace the batting coach in the middle of the season. I don't, I don't think it's the batting coach. I mean, they, the guys that they hire for batting coaches have all had pretty illustrious careers. You have to assume they know what they're talking about. Well, he, so here, why do you replace it in midseason? Here's a stat for you. Here's a stat for you. Let's say both of you are managing the Giants, my team, either one of you. Bill Verdon, lifetime against Colfax was 400. Uh, Willie Mays, lifetime against uh, Colfax was the Mendoza line. Who are you starting tomorrow? You're gonna you're gonna pick out Mays and put in Bill Verdon. Who are you starting? <laughs> well, I probably would. I mean, I would be bold enough to take to sit Willie for for the game. Yeah. I mean, because I mean, but one of the other things that none of us can explain is exactly that, Byron. The statistics of how certain players, batters against pitchers, pitchers against batters. I mean, because many. I mean, for instance. Um, um, Ted Williams had more trouble with certain pitchers in who were not particularly successful otherwise, but somehow got him out. I don't know. You can't explain that. You can just stand back and marvel at at the fact. Yeah, that's very true. I, I think one thing that comes to mind on your point, George, about uh, about why a hitting coach might be let go in midseason, even even when that hitting coach has had um, a great career in their own right. And I think that sometimes it's, it's an example of, of someone that maybe has an understanding and the ability to execute that uh, as far as hitting themselves, but not necessarily the ability to convey it and teach others, because I think that requires a very different skill set right. and sometimes that doesn't surface until uh until you uh, throw somebody into the mix so um that's that's why i'm always uh uh for in the case of the red sox and, and the, the yankees with first-time managers you know you, you wonder okay they, they have the baseball acumen they got the background they played the game they have an understanding now can they relate to players can they convey the message can they um, uh, you know, be able to manage it from that level, which, again, different skill set. We'll see what happens. Right. Well, I, you know, when you talk about Yankees Red Sox, uh, when Joe DiMaggio died, um, I wrote an essay in tribute to him that was in a uh, book of, of, of essays um, eulogizing the great Joe D. And I remember my wife asking me, um, were you ever a Yankee fan? And I said, no, I was never a Yankee fan. But that's different from players. I mean, in my view, the greatest player who ever lived was Babe Ruth. Um, I don't know who's second. I don't care. The Babe, for me, was the greatest. And they've had so many great players, so many of whom are worthy of, of our admiration, like, of course, Derek Jeter um, um, and... They're great relief pitchers and other other players, and um, and of course <clears throat> the ultimate, I suppose, in some ways, would be 
of Yogi Berra. When uh, George Herbert Walker Bush was president, one of his speechwriters uh, was Kurt Smith, uh, who's done a number of books about baseball. And uh, Kurt told me that whenever he wrote a speech for the president, the president always said, make sure you, you start me with a quote from Yogi Berra, which he always did. And that led me to the, to the belief that the most quoted man in American history is not George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Abraham Lincoln, uh, Franklin Roosevelt, John F. Kennedy, or Ronald Reagan, but actually Yogi Berra. And, and when I've shared that with people, no one, no one has taken exception to it. But that's another thing that's really extraordinary, that a baseball player like Yogi should be the most quoted man <laughs> in our history. Well, we're talking to so the legacy. Uh, Johnny, how many home runs did Babe Ruth hit? Uh, that would be 714. Uh, George, how many did Hank Aaron hit? Do you know that number? Well, it's over 746, is that right? Or 7, 755. 755. Does either one of you know how many Barry Bonds hit? Yeah, it's 770-something. But it's 762, but here's my point. It's not a hallowed number. No. Why? Well, well um, go ahead. Sam. Well, I, I think, and, and we've discussed this before, uh, Byron, it's, it's for me, it's that cloud of suspicion, the whole steroid influence. And, you know, I, I get a little, I get a little bit uh, uh, tired of the comparisons that people make when I bring this up. And they go, well, people have always cheated and they've always look for an edge. The players back in the 50s and 60s were taking greenies and amphetamines, and I point out that, okay, well, that's like comparing a a pea shooter to a nuclear warhead (laughs) on the potential impact that it has on the game. I, I think it gets back to what we said earlier about a respect for the game. And it's really sad when... The, the players who allegedly or or complicitly made those decisions to use PEDs, you, you you start removing the meaning of those hollow numbers out of the game. It, it's it it, it 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 takes the fun out of comparing the great players from the past with the players today. The other day, Byron, when I mentioned to you. Miguel Cabrera, last player to hit for a triple crown. If you ask most people, okay, for either of you guys, and George, you should know this one, the last player to hit for a triple crown before Miguel Cabrera or the Tigers was who? I'll pass because I know. <laughs> no, no I, 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 it doesn't come readily. It's a Red Sox, George. It's a Red Sox. No, Carl, you're from. <laughs> yeah, you had Yaz. And if you ask most fans, who's the last guy to hit it? Fit for the triple crown. I guarantee as many people are going to say yes as they will Miguel Cabrera. How right. can we not celebrate that? Why? Because that accomplishment has been diluted, and that's kind of my point. George, right. thoughts? Well, the thing, the thing I would say though about Barry Bonds, um, who I do not know, have not met, and uh, but Barry Bloom of MLB uh, got close to Barry, is close to Barry, and likes Barry a lot. Um, you can't get away from the fact that the steroid issue, uh, uh, I mean, I'm not overlooking it, but, but also the fact that Barry had an attitude and uh, was a black guy. And, and that attitude hurt him um, a great deal. Uh, I always thought, I mean, beginning in Pittsburgh and then later on, he was just a, a, an extraordinary um, um, ball player. But I don't know how we ever resolve the issue of, of the steroids and the difference that it made made in the game. And there are traditionalists and loyalists, and I know more than a few, who it's just so bothersome to them. They get so angry about it. Um, but what I've tried to do is to achieve some degree of balance and point out that there are in the Hall of Fame um, uh, life white beaters and abusers of children and and a lot of other negative things and so when we 
when we're judging who should go in or who we're going to keep out, I would just like to see the the human factor more um, more taken into consideration. Well, if and and, and I I, w- I would agree with that, and because there's so many. So many elements that come into play just with integration going back to, to 1947. You know, you, you can put an asterisk on everything before that, really, when you consider that a, a large percentage of who who would have been major league players weren't given the opportunity to play. Well, Johnny, I if, I could, if I could jump in here, um, I'm glad you said that because I created what I call the Kennesaw Mountain Landis litmus test. Right. And, and 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 if 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 the individual in question for the Hall of Fame, if those actions adversely impact on the same level as Landis, then he he should be he should uh, not be considered. But if those actions do not adversely impact the game comparable to what Landis did, then his, he should be considered solely on the merits. What do you guys say? Well, <laughs> look, the, here, I have no. <clears throat> My views about about Landis, um, he was a notorious racist. And we're uh, in the South, we have this debate about should we tear down the statue of Robert E. Lee. Um, I would raise the question in a similar fashion, should uh, Landis even be in the Hall of Fame? He was a notorious racist. I want to tell you my, my great friendship with Buck O'Neill. And one of the things that Buck... Uh, said when talking about great players, he said this. He said, the greatest player I ever saw, a major league player, was Willie Mays. The greatest player I ever saw was Oscar Charleston. And I had the privilege to go with Buck to Indianapolis when the mayor of that uh, great city uh, dedicated a park in memory of Oscar Charleston. Now, how many people do we think even know Oscar Charleston's name? But to Buck, he was the greatest ever, Johnny. Yeah, that's a that that's a tremendous illustration, and I I think we can, I think we should consider uh, one's history, their personal history outside of the game, because with some people, it's so notorious that at some point, how do you ignore it? When I talk about the PEDs, I'm focusing on on the impact of the game. And what's really sad about Barry Bonds, and it's no personal commentary for him, we're just talking about him as a ball player, not as a husband or a father. And I'd never approach, um, I'd never approach his, uh, his integrity because I I don't know the man, but here's the thing. Um, It's sad because he undoubtedly would have been a hall of famer on his own merits. I mean, I think before we suspected any of that, how could you ignore uh, the ability and the performance that we saw prior to the time we suspected he uh, um, he used PEDs? Well, gentlemen, here's my here's my issue uh, with with the PEDs, um, and it's not even the players. It is, in my view, and I'd like to have you guys take a stab at this how Major League Baseball has handled it, or should I say not handled it. Like, they've been content to tell us it was a few bad apples. I want to know how many guys at Barry Bonds' face that were on steroids. How many guys at Roger Clemens' face were on steroids? I don't think mm-hmm. baseball has been as forthcoming as they needed to be on this issue. How do you guys feel about that? Well, you have to ask, answer the question, how did the second baseman for the Baltimore Orioles Brady Anderson? Home runs one year? <laughs> Would that be Brady Anderson? Yeah, <laughs> 52 home runs, and he had never hit more than, I think, 25 any other year or after. Um, it's it just, to me, it's just so infinitely complicated. And I don't... That's a I great way that, to put it, George. Yeah, I don't know that we're, we're, we're going to get past it, but I truly wish we would get past it. Um, you, you know what I'd like to get past it is, and you, you, Brady Anderson is a great example and uh, um, uh, Brett Boone up in Seattle. Yeah. I mean, he had a couple of monster years where I I don't know if he got anywhere near 
that uh, slugging percentage and home run totals until that window. And there's a lot of other examples. But you know what I guess, just as a pure fan, what saddens me a little bit is, i got to tell you, even last year, as much as I admired and was excited about the success of an Aaron Judge, I mean, not that that kid would need a, a whole lot of performance enhancing, uh, with his ability and size and strength and everything else. I got to tell you, I got to be honest with you guys, in the, in the back of your mind, you wonder at least this much. You know, I, I hope that there's nothing else that's in the mix here. You know, I'd like to be able to celebrate the success of a young player and not have that cloud of suspicion that I don't like being – I don't like being cynical about baseball is what I'm trying to say. Isn't, but isn't I agree that, with that. Isn't that Johnny – I'm just going to say, isn't that, though, Johnny's point, and George, chime in here, isn't that part of what makes the numbers sort of um, 500 home runs? You're kind of like, so what now, when that used to be a great uh, milestone? Well, I think the point that Johnny was making, though, that if they – are you, Brian, were making, that if the pitcher is on steroids and the batter – is on steroids. There's some there's some factor of, of, of equity there, but about Aaron Judge, who is in many ways my favorite player, um, it was upsetting to me last year when people would raise the question, "Well, he must be taking something. He must be on something. There's something that he's able." And it's just ridiculous. No, this kid at six seven, two hundred and seventy, sixty seven pounds or whatever, he's just but, you know, he's in, in one regard, he's a freak of nature. He's incredibly powerful. And the, the home run display that he put on in the, you know, in the All-Star game was just un, unforgettable. And he had a fabulous year. Why don't we just acknowledge he had a fabulous year? Why don't we also acknowledge that he's an exceptional young man? You know, he grew up in a town that is so small, it doesn't even have a stop sign. And and he has he's he's humble, um, he's everything that you would want. Um, as I heard him, as I heard a mother say about uh, Connor Lamb that got elected to Congress from a Republican district in in Pennsylvania. A mother said about him before the election, he is what every mother's son wishes her son were. And I think that about about Aaron Judge. What a what what a remarkable athlete but even a better person now johnny I, I you can't get better he, he really he really carries himself um you know dare i say uh jeter-esque yes right well johnny i just wanted to point out that was a red Sox fan who who probably gave one of the best, most eloquent statements about a Yankee I've heard in recent times. I just I just wanted to point that out. <laughs> as long as this doesn't play in Boston, where I'm. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and 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 you know what? And, and I tell my fellow Yankee fan friends, I'm not ashamed to say, you know, for example, how how could how could you not like David Ortiz? How could you? How could you be a baseball fan and possibly have any resentment towards a David Ortiz or the way Dustin Pedroia plays the game? No, you couldn't. I, I mean, you can't. And let, me, let me tell you, a, a really, a, to me, it's a very funny story. Um, for several years, I played, uh, went to Fort Myers to play in a fantasy baseball camp for the Red Sox, which is, it's a big deal. You play uh, twice a day for five days. And then you play the pros on, on Saturday, and we never beat the pros. But uh, I'm, you know, in my past life, I was a press secretary uh, to Senator Charles Goodell, Republican of New York. I was a press aide to Bobby Kennedy. New York has been big in my life, even though I'm a California kid. And so uh, on one of the nights, they, we had a, a cruise around whatever that bay is in Fort Myers, and a guy was on, was playing one of those uh, small accordions. And so in my innocence, uh, during an interlude, I went up to him and I said, would you be willing to play New York, New York? And he said, sure. And he started playing it. Seriously, a riot almost broke out. These were Red Sox fans. They didn't want to hear New York, New York. 
Um, and, the, and, and the guy who organized the fantasy camp told me later, he said, Mitrovich, don't ever do that again. Well, here's the irony. Uh, as we all know, um, uh, Sweet Caroline is at, at the uh, before the bottom of the eighth inning, right? Right. Neil Diamond's New York guy, isn't he? Um, well, the great, the great healing in the Red Sox-Yankee rivalry came when a young man a couple of years back with the Red Sox that everybody loved uh, wound up in a tragic accident and died. And uh, the, the Red Sox, that, the day that that happened, the Red Sox were at Yankee Stadium. So that night in the eighth inning at Yankee Stadium, they sang Sweet Caroline. And from that point on, as Larry Latino said, the Yankees can never again be the evil empire. Okay. Well, and, and they, they did that. Uh, they also sang Sweet Caroline during the, uh, uh, during the Boston Strong after yes. the marathon yes. bombing. Right. They, and if you YouTube uh, the video, you'll see Yankee fans uh, reluctant, reluctantly, but enthusiastically singing "Sweet Caroline" in the stands. Reluctantly so and enthusiastically, I guess. Enthusiastic than others. <laughs> some more enthusiastic than others. But you know what? It's another great example of how baseball transcends everything. Right. Fan allegiance gets erased when there's a tragedy out of mutual respect to honor others, they come together and they um, erase those fan allegiances and you see that mutual respect. And that's a very special thing about right. this game that you don't see in other games. George, you know, one, of the things, one of the things that um, um, I am able to do from time to time is uh, to arrange for someone to throw out a first pitch at, at Fenway Park, uh, and, and invariably the the talk turns to first pitches. Uh, there have been some notorious ones which you can uh, find on uh, YouTube, particularly the mayor of Cincinnati, who uh, went to the mound and threw out the first pitch, and the ball when it left his hand went straight to the left and into the red dugout. It was probably the worst first pitch ever, but the best first pitch ever was was at Yankee Stadium. After 9-11. George Remember? Bush, yeah. Mm-hmm. With exactly. George Bush. And he goes to the mound, and he's got on a protect, uh, you know, a protective vest and all of that. And, and he went to the mound, and he threw seriously, seriously, a perfect first pitch. I, I don't think in the game's history anybody has, under more uh, difficult circumstances, has ever made a, a better first pitch. Uh, George, I'll, I'll tell you if it was ahead, possible. If it was possible, Byron, if Bob Gibson had a grudge with a guy on a first pitch, I think he would throw very inside on him. Oh, <laughs> there's no question. Bob Gibson would be capable of doing that. Bob would hit a guy in an old timers game. Bob Gibson hit a guy in an old timers. Remember? Yeah. Okay, okay, George. John, George, are you still playing? You still playing? I am. Yeah. Okay, give me the give me the scouting report on Mitrovic. How, how do I pitch to him? Well, um, the scouting report is is by manager Jeff Marston, who's managed in the San Diego Adult Baseball League thirty years, and my teammates will tell you, without exception, I can still hit. Nobody understands why. And I'm still a dead pool ball hitter, whether I hit left or right. And um, I don't, I mean, I can't, there, there is no explanation for it. I mean, at 82 and a half, I'm certainly not running as well as I once did. But um, I bet you're outrunning me, George. I have, <laughs> I have that, that sense right now. And you, well, you know what it is? You know, it's, it's all timing, right? Hitting, hitting is all about timing. Pitching is all about disrupting that timing. And if you have the timing down, you're good to go, my friend. Right. Well, some I, I, I went to breakfast with the, uh, the baseball coach at Point Loma Nazarene University, which is my school, 
and I play in. I had played in every uh, 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 alumni uh, uh, game against the varsity, and there were players on the alumni that had played as high as AAA. And here I am. Um, one of the last times I played, I was two for four, and but I went to I went to breakfast with him, and I asked him. I said, I'm not supposed to be able to do this at my age, so what, what, what are you telling me? And he just said, well, you have a great top hand. I, I actually didn't even know what that meant, but I accepted it continued to play. So, But thanks for asking. <laughs> Gentlemen. We opened, a, we opened with a big win Sunday. We were, it was tied 5-5, bottom of the, uh, going to the bottom of the ninth, and we scored six, six times and won. Uh, well, bottom of the eighth was 5-5. Five, five. He scored six times and won 11-5. Hey, 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 Johnny? Johnny? Yes, sir. Both of you guys are, this is, this is, you know, unlimited invitations to come on. But if George starts bragging about his war, he can't come on anymore. <laughs> what? War, wins above replacement. You start giving me your war statistics, you can't come back on. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. That was Johnny Costa and George Mitrovich. Stay tuned for my closing remarks. But before that, here are several moments from baseball's past. The final out of Don Larson's perfect game in the 1956 World Series, Willie Mays' catch in the 1954 World Series, and Ted Williams' final home run on his last plate appearance in 1960. now for my closing remarks. The modern civil rights movement realized its genesis in December 1952. The Supreme Court had on its docket cases from Kansas, Delaware, the District of Columbia, and Virginia. These cases all challenged the constitutionality of racial segregation in public schools. The court opted to consolidate these cases under the single name Oliver Brown et al., v. the Board of Education of Topeka. It would later be known by the more colloquial term Brown versus Board of Education. Brown's daughter, Linda, a third grader at the time, had to walk six blocks to her school bus stop to ride several miles to the segregated black school, while the white school was several blocks from her home. Linda Brown recently passed away. Though she shied away from the limelight, her name will forever be associated with change and progress that made the country reach closer to that more perfect union. The Public Morality welcomes your comments. You can contact me at byron at publicmorality.org. That's byron, B-Y-R-O-N, at publicmorality.org. Our archive broadcasts are located at our website, which is publicmorality.com. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast, which can be found on iTunes. My weekly column can be found in the Sunday edition of the Winston-Salem Journal, as well as Politics NC. That's Politics, North Carolina. The Public Rally is produced at WSNC on the campus of Winston-Salem State University. For all of us at the Public Rally, I'm Byron Williams.
moving past the left field wall. Yeah, boy. Yes, yes, Jackie hit that ball. And when he swung his bat, the crowd went wild because he knocked that ball a solid mile. Yeah, boy. Yes, yes, Jackie hit that ball. Satchel Page is mellow, so is Caponello. Newcomb and Dobie too. But it's a natural fact when Jackie comes to bat, the other team is through. Did you see Jackie Robinson hit that ball? Did he hit it? Yes, and that ain't all. He's so old. Yes, yes, Jackie's real gone. Jack is real gone.